Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode of the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast, I feature Texas-born printmaker Delita Martin. She received her BFA in drawing from Texas Southern University and her MFA with an emphasis in printmaking, drawing, mixed media, and installation from Purdue University. She was formerly a member of the Fine Arts faculty at the University of Arkansas. Delita is now working as a full-time artist and highly dedicated to her own work and vision as the founder and president of the Black Box Press Foundation, a nonprofit which gives annual exhibition grants and support to artists. She feels social change doesn't just happen. It materializes because people decide to make a change and take action. Over the past 20 years, Delita has had 23 solo exhibitions that include Art Museum of Southwest Texas in Beaumont, the Orr O'Keefe Museum of Art in Biloxi, the Bradbury Museum in Jonesboro, Arkansas, and the National Museum of Women in the Arts in Washington, D.C., to name a few. She has also been included in over 60 group exhibitions throughout the United States and internationally, and her work is also in numerous public and private collections. Most recently, Delita's work was shown at the National Museum for Women and the Arts in Washington, D.C., and welcomed into the Library of Congress. She served as a 2020 keynote speaker for the Mid-America Print Council. Please visit the Cerebral Women website for her expanded bio and Talita's website, blackboxpressfoundation.org, for additional information about all that she does. Enjoy this episode of the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast and enjoy my conversation with printmaker Delita Martin. Delita, thank you for joining me on my Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast and Happy New Year. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me, and Happy New Year to you as well. Thank you. I'm excited about this conversation. So let's start with, when did you discover your artistic passion? I have always been an artist. Um, I decided around the age of five that I was going to be a professional artist. Prior to that, um, my father was an artist, and so I basically lived with creative people, quilt makers, uh, poetry writers, uh, storytellers, all types of creative people in my family. So it was kind of like growing up in an art school. And so creativity just came natural for me. Um, it was always either writing stories, drawing pictures, painting, and, and all of that. So I, I kind of grew up that way. So 
I never had any idea of becoming anything other than an artist. So that was, that was, um, from the time I could remember, I didn't, I don't think I understood what being an artist really meant. I just knew that I wanted to create. So with all the different types of art being created around you, do you recall what inspired you to lean towards painting? Well, I don't paint, actually. Um, I started off with drawing, and my father, he was an oil painter. He, he um, did painting and drawing, and so we would draw together, and I would try and copy his work, which is how I learned to draw. I would basically look at imagery of works that he had created, and then I would try and duplicate those works. So um, those were amazing memories to have in the studio with him. Um, I'm a printmaker, and uh, I use a lot of mixed media in my prints. So there's always a printmaking base in what I do, and I'll add on drawing, and I'll uh, paint into the work, and I'll collage into the work as well. But um, I started off drawing, and I actually did not make prints until... Um, I had graduated from undergraduate school and then I decided that I wanted to go to graduate school and I had never made prints before in my entire life. And, uh, but I had seen the process. Um, one day I was in the art building, um, picking up my sketch pad out of my locker to do some homework, uh, over the weekend. And Dr. John Biggers, who is the founder of our art department at Texas Southern University was, um, reopening an edition that he did like in the 1960s. And I happened to just kind of peek my head into the studio and he was there with my professor and another artist, printmaker, uh, Charles Kleiner and my professor, Harvey Johnson. And I was watching them, you know, do this lithograph and I had no idea what they were doing and it looked so complicated. And I remember thinking to myself, I want to do that someday. That's, you know, and, and I didn't, but I wasn't able to do it until like years later, but it was always in the back of my mind. It was just such a beautiful process that I, it was almost like this, this magical dance that I, that I witnessed them doing in the studio. So that's how, that was my first introduction to printmaking. I guess I should have asked you the question when you decided to be a visual artist. <laughs> Sorry. Was there a particular artist, though, that influenced you? A, a painter or... Well, the first artist... So I grew up in um, small town, USA. Um, there were no black visual artists that I was looking at at the time. And I don't think I realized that my father was an artist until much, much later. I think I was around, I want to say maybe like 12 or 13 before before it really, really hit me what he did, you know, that he was an artist as well. But um, the first artist whose work I paid attention to or I was introduced to was John Biggers. Um, My father studied under Dr. Biggers at Texas Southern University, and he introduced me to him, and he actually critiqued my work. I was like, around 12, 13, and it was just so incredible to have this amazing artist whose work I I loved and admired look at my work and see potential. And so um, that was the confirmation that I needed, that I was going in the right direction. So um, 
you know, from the age of five on, I was like, I'm going to be an artist. And then to have Dr. Biggest look at my work and, you know, validate it in the sense that he told me, he was like, you know, young lady, do not ever miss an opportunity to uplift your people through your work. And so that was a confirmation for me to um, create imagery of women in my community that looked like me, that took care of me, that raised me. And uh, so that meant a lot to me. So that was kind of um, that. Uh, that's what kind of seeded what I what I wanted to do as a visual artist. It's nice to have that passion to complement what you enjoy doing. <laughs> yes. um, what materials do you use in your work? Well, I started off, my undergraduate degree is in drawing. So I started off in drawing, um, pencil drawings, mostly uh, black and white uh, drawings. But uh, later, once I was introduced to printmaking, um, I fell in love with that, all the different processes. People ask me all the time, well, you know, what, you know, which process in printmaking do you like? And I was like, well, it depends on, you know, the day of the week. If I'm doing lithography, then that's what I love the most. If I'm doing relief, then I love relief the most. I just love the whole um, idea and concept of printmaking just in general. And uh, so I do lithography. Um, I work on the stone as well as on the plate. I do the leaf carving where you carve into um, a, either wood or linoleum or some substrate and uh, you roll it up with ink and you run it through the press. But I also bring in elements of painting, um, drawing, um, just any creative tool that I have in my toolbox, I utilize it which I think was a turning point in my career around 2014. Um, I left the university, um, I guess around 2012-13, I left the University of Arkansas in Little Rock to go into the studio to become a full-time artist. And so at that point, it, for me, it was about being a creative and not just being a printmaker. So I was like, I'd gone to school to be a printmaker, but I also still love drawing. Um, I call myself a closet painter because I don't really think I'm that great of a painter, but I still love the process. And so, you know, going into the studio and telling myself it's okay to bring all of these things together in one, you know, creative piece of work to express yourself is okay. And so that was really, um, that was really a turning point for me in my career. Interesting. Do you listen to music while you're working? I do. I do not. Um, that's very interesting. I listen to um, audiobooks, um, lectures, um, poetry readings, and the reason being is I love to um, challenge myself. And a lot of times, there's like these little notes all over the studio that I have from listening to um, interviews or listening to artist talks. Um, you know, that I just kind of pose to myself. And it, and it gives me a way of having fresh eyes on my work, you know? So I'm listening to an artist talk about their work and talk about, you know, maybe issues that they're having in their work or questions that they've posed to themselves. And I'm like, hey, you know, maybe I should think about that. Or, you know, it just gives me something to think about to um, further my work and what I do. And can you recall what overcomes you 
right before you start to create a particular work? Um, creating is like breathing. That's the best way to put it for me. Um, I can't not create. Um, there are, are times when, you know, you're overwhelmed or overcome with a particular situation. My first response is to go in the studio and create. And I think I don't, you know, understand the psychology of it all, but it's a way for me to be able to work through whatever I need to work through, whether I'm expressing, you know, my joy or sadness or, um, you know, being overwhelmed by something. It's my way of seeing the world that I'm in. How do you keep learning? Oh man, I love learning. Um, I always try and put myself in a position to learn. So I look at other artists and I don't just look at printmakers. I don't just look at painters. I don't just look at African-American artists. I look at everything. You can always be inspired and learn from anything that you look at. Um, I love ceramics. I'm not a ceramist, but I look at shape. I look at form. Um, you know, I, I love painting. I look at Van Gogh. I look at, you know, the Renaissance artists. I look at African-American artists. I look at contemporary art. There's always uh, an opportunity to learn. And I take advantage of that whenever I can. Yeah, that makes you an interesting person. When did the titles of your work enter the creative process? At the very end. Um, so what I do is I create a work, and sometimes, you know, I'll get to a certain point um, in the work where I don't know what needs to happen next, and I'll put it up on the wall, and I may walk around with it in the studio for, you know, three or four days, three or four weeks, you never know. But when I walk in, the work tells me what needs to happen next. And I allow room for that to happen. Because I like to work as organically as possible. Um, I don't come into the studio with plans. So an ideal day for me is I get in the studio very early in the morning. I'm that 5.30, 6 o'clock person that's in the studio. If I don't get started on a piece by noon, I'm done. Um, it's not going to happen, but I come in and I say, as far as plans, I'm like, okay, well, I want to work with the color blue today. And I leave room for that to go in any direction that it needs to go in. And the work will tell me what needs to happen next. And so once the work is complete, I will sit with it for a while and it'll tell me the title. It'll tell me who it is. It'll tell me who it wants to be and where it's supposed to go. Love it. How would you define black art? Um, I don't really define it as black art. I define it as art, and I just happen to be black. <laughs> or whoever's creating it just happens to be black. And, you know, I think it doesn't bother me when artists or other people do. I just want the freedom to define me in the way that I want to be. So some people are like, you know, I don't want to be known as a printmaker. I want to be an interdisciplinary artist. No, I'm a printmaker at heart because that's what I feel. You know, I, I'm an artist at the end of the day, and I happen to be a black woman. And I'm very proud of that. But I, it is my choice to be who I want to be and define myself. So I don't really get into the descriptors, you know, when people talk to me about black art, you know, I'm like, what is black art? I know what art is. I know, you know, artists who happen to be black who create art. 
I have a friend who is an amazing, incredible artist. And if you look at her work, the first thing you would say is she's black. Well, she's not. But her work is incredible. It's powerful. Um, it talks about many of the things um, that happens in our community, but she just happens to be a white woman. So I don't really get caught up in those types of titles. When creating, do you think of who your audience is? No. So the way I look at it is I'm telling a story. I'm telling my story, and I'm inviting you in as the viewer. And there are people out there who may or may not enjoy my work, and that's okay. And I'm open to have that conversation with you. But my my art is just a tiny fraction of a much larger world, a much larger creative world. And I'm telling my story. And um, it's my responsibility to do that. And, you know, you're welcome to enjoy, partake, um, have a conversation with me about it. But I, I don't think of a particular audience when I create. Do you think your audience understands your work? Yes. Um, and I think they understand it from the perspective that my objective, when a, when a person connects to my work, and I call it having a conversation with my work, that is when I know that I have done what I was supposed to do as an artist. Because as an artist, it is my responsibility to make the unseen seen to make the intangible tangible. And if you, if one person can walk up to my work and feel a connection to it, can say, oh my gosh, you know, I remember this pattern from the 1970s. You know, oh, I remember, you know, my grandmother had a bowl. I use a lot of symbols in my work. So like bowls and, and pans and um, mason jars. And when people connect to those objects, because to me, those are universal objects. Those are that, that's what makes the language universal. You and I may not have the same background, but we may not have the same background, but you've had some type of interaction with the objects that I'm using in my work as a visual language. And so when you can recognize, identify, and relate to, that's when the conversation starts. Are, are there concepts or thoughts that connect your work? Yes, there is. So um, the patterns that you see in my work, the, the, I guess, background patterns, I call them veilscapes. And so I'm very interested in how we as um, women, black women, become our spiritual other. What does that look like when we pray, when we meditate? How, do, how does that transform us? And so I'm like, how do I make this? Um, space, the spiritual space, how do I make it tangible? And so for me, that translated into patterns, texture, and color. And the circle is a, a, a pattern that you will see in every single piece of my work, whether it's a male figure or a female figure, because for me, that symbolizes the female and there's always a female presence in my work. It, it represents the moon, which symbolizes the female. The mason jar is another symbol that I use in my work, which talks about the illusion of freedom. The idea that something can be obtained, you can see it, but you can't quite touch it. Um, the bird 
um, symbolizes the human spirit. And depending on whether it's a bird in flight or a bird whose feet are bound, talks about the state of the human spirit. So, um, again, I have my language that I use in the work, which I'm very open about, and I'm always um, willing to share and interested in talking about. But the viewer also has a particular, a particular connection to these objects and, um, you know, these, these symbols that I use in my work, which I'm very much interested in. I'm glad I asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what are you excited about now? I am excited. Um, I recently started a foundation, Black Box Press Foundation, and just really, really, really excited about that. Um, and we support other artists through the foundation. So it kind of came about twofold. Um, several years ago, I did an interview. Well, actually, it wasn't an interview. It was an artist talk. And some gentleman in the audience asked me the question of what I wanted my legacy to be. And I was like, oh, my God, it just kind of threw me because I'd never thought about that before. And I gave some answer, you know, you know, an, an answer, but it wasn't the answer. So I came back to the studio and I started thinking about it. And I was like, I want to be for other artists with artists like Elizabeth Catlett, John Biggers, um, Doc Thrash, all these artists that I study and some of the artists that I've met. I want to be for other artists what they were for me. And so I had to figure out what that looked like for me because that would look very different for everyone. And so for me, it was important to be able to support artists in their, you know, getting their voice out there and um, helping them with exhibitions. So what we do is we offer a $5,000 unrestricted grant to two artists um, every year. And those artists receive an unrestricted grant to help them with an exhibition. So not only do they have funds to help them create the work or continue a body of work, but we also connect them with a venue that will host their exhibition. So that pressure is not on them to have to find a really quality space and funds. So we're really excited about that. And we also have a um, residency program that at this point, um, it's invitational only. Um, we're hoping to move it into the application process where artists can just apply. And um, I've invited two artists so far into my space to create work. So um, that has been amazing because, you know, I have equipment and um, sometimes it's just very difficult because it was very difficult for me when I left graduate school to have printmaking equipment to work with. So I want to be able to help other artists who are printmakers or who are interested in printmaking to have a space where they can come and explore and create. That's wonderful. Yeah. Your space must be fairly large. Yes. Um, I, when I stopped teaching, we actually moved back to Texas from Arkansas and um, we built a studio. We have 3,000 square feet. Um, we do letterpress, lithography. Um, etching, relief printing, um, silk screen. So any printmaking process, traditional and some non-traditional processes that artists are interested in, you can do in this space. That's wonderful. That's great. So, so what do you feel is the purpose of art? Um, 
Um, the purpose of art is to feed the soul. Um, I feel like my soul is being fed when, you know, when I can have, you know, when I can share my work with other people, this feeding of knowledge, this, you know, being able to look at a piece of artwork and internalize it and just, you know, have that moment where you're like, wow, that's really beautiful. You know, an opportunity to know, understand, and feel beauty, to know and understand and feel sadness. All of these things feed the soul. And I think that's what art does. Thank you. This has been great. This is our, our last question, and <laughs> you do so much. It's, it's very impressive. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> How do you want your work to impact the way people think? Um, I think that art has a way of, you know, changing the heart. And so I feel like as an artist, it's my responsibility to be very careful about what I put out into the world. And I think sometimes, you know, there are things that some artists put out for shock value. That's not my thing. That's not my cup of tea. Um, I feel like there's a responsibility that I have to tell the story of uh, Black women, to offer a different narrative to for people to understand that we are mothers, we are daughters, we, you know, we love, we, we you know, we, we nurture, there's this beautiful side of us despite the stereotypes that are out there. And um, I document women who, um, I document the lady down the street who was the candy lady in the neighborhood. I document, you know, my grandmother. I document the next door neighbor who babysat me when my mama had to go to work. That's important to me because all of those women are the foundation for a lot of us for who we are and who we've become. And we don't hear about them enough, you know? And those are the women who I want to capture in my work. Well, thank you for everything you do. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for letting me tell my story. Uh, Hey, I'm so proud. I'm proud of myself. (laughs) I'm proud of myself because it's important that your story is heard and it's, it's a, it's it's wonderful that you establish the foundation and uh, that you give back the way you do. I uh, I love artists, so it's been it's been great talking with you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit cerebralwomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram. <laughs>